He was a crazy man that got a gun. Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast, as heard on 90.7 FM in LA, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast, and coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, and Radio Sputnik. Five days a week, you can run, but you can't hide. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow. Says me. From Bradblog.com, glad you could join us for another thrilling, action-packed adventure as we go to air today. Uh, President Obama is speaking in New Orleans, marking the 10th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, when at least 1,800 were killed, most of them due to the failure of the levee system in, uh, in New Orleans, thanks to the encroaching seas, thanks to climate change. And the oil and gas industry's destruction of storm-buffering wetlands. And thanks to shoddy levees poorly built by the Army Corps of Engineers. Oh, and thanks to George W. Bush's utter mismanagement and, frankly, disinterest in that, uh, in that crisis. Ten years ago this week, Louisiana's incredibly unpopular Republican governor and, for some reason, GOP presidential candidate... Bobby Jindal met with President Obama at the airport this morning, but not before sending him a uh, a two page letter uh, asking him. Desi Doyen, have you seen this? Did you see this letter from Bobby Jindal? I did. Jindal? I did. It's uh, ridiculous. Amazing. That's Desi, of course, our uh, our producer, my co host on the Green News Report. Um, <laughs> this uh, it, it, Jindal sent him a letter asking him, please, pretty please, please. Do not mention climate change when you come down here to Louisiana. That's really what he said in this letter. Is part of the letter he uh, he asked him to avoid quote inserting the divisive political agenda of liberal environmental activism while commemorating the tenth anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. The letter from uh, Jindal uh, said, while you and others may be of the opinion that we can legislate away hurricanes with higher taxes, business regulations and EPA power grabs. That is not the view shared by many Louisianians. I would ask you to respect this important time of remembrance by not inserting the divisive political agenda of liberal environmental activism, said the governor. Furthermore, the people of Louisiana have already agreed upon a pragmatic and bipartisan approach to preventing and mitigating the damage of future weather systems. 
Jindal, uh, who was a, uh, a congressman when the storm hit back in 2005, wrote a a lecture on climate change would not improve New Orleans. Something resident uh, would would not improve New Orleans. Something that residents did themselves all by themselves. It would distract from the losses we have suffered, diminish the restoration efforts we have made, and overshadow the miracle that has been the Louisiana comeback. He wrote. <laughs> so, because you Bobby know, Jindal. I know nothing says Republican governance like, hey, let's ignore the science, let's ignore the data, let's ignore the evidence, let's ignore our actual practical experience that shows if you ignore a problem, it goes away. Yes, uh, that's, you're, you're that's not happy. Jindal. No, you're not I happy am with not. Bobby Jindal, are you? No, I, can I am not. And I just want to also mention one yeah. more thing about that, just to slam uh, Governor Bobby Jindal a little more. All of that recovery, like you said, oh, it's as if they pay, they did it all themselves. Yes. Of course, he's no has no problem with socialism when it comes to getting the federal government and the American taxpayers to give billions of dollars for this recovery and coastal restoration. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. actually funded by the American people. It's not just, you know, the folks down in New Orleans and their plucky spirit doing it all by themselves. No, no. They it's... are doing it. I have to give them credit for that. Mm-hmm. But Thanks to the federal government and thanks to the American taxpayer, it would be nice if Governor Jindal would actually acknowledge that just for once. Desi, I would ask you to respect this important time of remembrance (laughs) by not inserting the divisive political agenda of your liberal environmental activism. So that's going on uh, today. We'll have more on uh, the uh, 10th anniversary of uh, Katrina uh, likely on our next uh, our next broadcast, uh, as we get to the 10th anniversary, we were down there near there at the time, and uh, well, I'll have some personal thoughts because we were down there covering the uh, the Cindy Sheehan uprising near the George W. Bush Ranch in Crawford, Texas, when the uh, when the storm rolled in, and we're we're digging down deep, deep, deep into the archives from 10 years ago to see if we can find some of that broadcast because we were actually on air as that was uh, ongoing. So we will uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll get that on our next show. Um, all right. Meanwhile, uh, reverberation still out of Roanoke, Virginia. And that on-air uh, on-air shooting down at the WDBJ in Virginia, uh, just a, just so disturbing. We had a caller uh, who called into yesterday's uh, program and said that you know even with even with this shooting happening on camera where everyone can see it, you know, not behind closed doors, not where it could be speculated about, but actually seeing it live on camera. Uh, we still won't do anything in this country about it, about mass shootings, uh, about the out of control uh, gun violence uh, and gun deaths and gun injuries that go on. And uh, that caller was was probably right. We've talked about it many times on this show. The cowardice of the um, I'm not going to say the American people because the American people get it. But the cowardice of the politicians that are in the pocket of the NRA the uh, frankly terrorist supporting NRA, the arms industry lobbyists at the NRA. So, uh, you know, I don't know what it's going to take, but Christopher Ingram over at uh, Washington Post writes that uh, August 26th was the 238th day of the year. And with the fatal shooting in Virginia, in which a gunman shot himself after killing two reporters and wounding one more person, Plus the shooting of four 
And it did, this didn't even make the news. The four, shooting of four during a Minneapolis home invasion. The number of mass shootings in the United States of America has risen to 247 for the year. And it ain't even over yet. So you got that 238 days so far this year, and we've had 247 mass shootings. Now, those numbers, he points out, are compiled by the moderators over at uh, over at Reddit in the Guns Are Cool subreddit, which is sarcastically named. Uh, it's the community that tracks gun violence in America because, you know what? Uh, federal officials, government officials have made it uh, illegal in many cases to actually track this uh, violence, to actually keep records of this. It's obscene. It's shameful. It's embarrassing. But that's the case. So over at uh, over at Reddit, they define mass shootings as any single incident in which at least four people are shot. Four people are shot, including the gunman. The tracker uh, comes in for some criticism uh, because it uh, uses a broader definition than the FBI's definition, which requires three or more people to be killed by gunfire. So according to the FBI, uh, yesterday was not a mass shooting. Yes, three people were shot. Three of them, including the uh, gunman, was killed. Uh, so we've got a, actually a total of four people uh, who were injured, three killed, one injured. And um, that's not a mass shooting, according to the FBI. But over on uh, this other tracker, that's how they track it, and that makes sense. And that broader definition, says the Washington Post, is useful because it captures many high-profile instances of violence, like the recent Lafayette, Louisiana. Speaking of Bobby Jindal, Lafayette uh, theater shootings a couple of weeks ago that otherwise would not meet the FBI's criteria. 238 days, 247 mass shootings. That more expansive definition of mass shootings underscores the extent to which firearms make it relatively easy to hurt large members of people in a very short time because you know... We always hear, oh, if they don't have guns, they'll they'll use a baseball bat. They'll use a, a, a knife. Well, as Ingram points out, with a gun, you're able to inflict bodily harm on a person once they're in your line of sight with a knife or a, 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 something else. You need to be right up close to the person. Uh, it's just uh, the, the level of gun violence in this country is nothing like any other developed nations around the world, period. And the things that we've been saying about the NRA, uh, frankly, was echoed last night by one of the uh, one of the victims, at least the the father of the slain reporter Allison Parker, who who was killed yesterday. Her her father uh, was on Fox News with Megyn Kelly last night, saying this, and uh, he was on uh, CNN with Chris Cuomo earlier today. Here's what. Uh, Here's what Andy Parker had to say about the cowardice in this country. Her life was cut short. She had she had so much potential and, you know, it, it's it's senseless that her life and Adam's life were taken by a crazy person with a gun. Look, I'm for the Second Amendment, but there has to be a way to force politicians that are cowards and in the pockets of the NRA to come to grips and and make sense have have sensible laws so that crazy people can't get guns it can't be that hard and yet 
politicians from the local level to the state level to the to the national level they sidestep the issue they kick the can down the road this can't happen anymore and i know that the nra their position is going to be i can hear it now they're going to say oh gee well if they were carrying this never would have happened i got news for you if allison or 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 Adam had been carrying an AK-47 strapped around their waist, it wouldn't have made any difference. They couldn't have seen this thing coming. So, you know, I don't want to hear that argument from the NRA, and you know that's going to happen. And I'm going to take it on. I got a call from, from Governor McAuliffe yesterday, and I told him exactly what my plan was. If I have to be a crusader on this, I'm not going to rest until I see this something happen, and he said, Andy said, you go for it, I'm right there with you. We've got to have our, our legislators and our congressmen step up to the plate and stop being cowards about this. You know, I'm not saying let's take away guns. I'm just saying let's make it harder for people with mental issues or people that, you know, like this guy that, that, that killed Allison and Adam you know, to, to make it difficult for them to, to, to purchase guns. There's got to be a mechanism that gets put in place for that. And I don't think that's unreasonable to do, but steps of, you know, how many, how many new towns are we going to have? How many Sandy Hooks? How many people, how many Allisons are going to, to you know, to, for, is this going to happen to before we stop it? Sadly, a lot more Allisons, I'm afraid to say. That was Andy Parker, far, father of uh, Allison Parker, 24-year-old uh, journalist from WDBJ, who was shot and killed while on air yesterday morning. Uh, yeah, the, I, I'm, I, I'm glad to hear him saying exactly what we have been saying, that this is about the, the cowardice of our leadership and you know, whenever I say this, I've, I've been saying it for years on, on this program, going on other shows, talking about it. And, of course, they, oh, Brad, you're a gun grabber. You want to take our guns away. You hate the Second Amendment. None of that is true. It's just not. And I know there are a lot of uh, people, or at least there are some people, who might be interested in uh, changing the Second Amendment. You know, they're called amendments. You can change them. You can change the Constitution. By the way, it's not the constant. The U.S. Constitution was not written by the hand of God. Just mentioning that. But, you know, uh, we are supposed to be a government, a, a country, a government of the people, by the people and for the people. And the people in this country would like to see the lowest of low hanging fruit when it comes to, uh, you know, improving our gun safety laws, which is requiring a background check for every gun sold uh, in America. Now, that's not too much to ask. It's incredibly popular. Democrats, Republicans, NRA members all would like to see that. And as I say, it is the lowest of the low-hanging fruit when it comes to gun violence in this country. Uh, but and it's and you know what? It's not even a matter of uh, should we do it or not? It, you know, we don't have a, 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 a democracy, a popular democracy. We don't vote on. Uh, you know, how the country feels about any particular policy issues, we have a representative government. But the problem with our representative government is that the government, the Senate, the U.S. Senate, would not even allow a vote on this issue. So if you held, held a vote for background checks and uh, the senators and the Republicans, if they, if they outnumbered uh, 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 
Democrats or the outnumbered uh, supporters of, of background checks, so be it. Then they lose the vote and the law stays as it is. But the fact that Republicans blocked a vote from even happening after dozens of uh, six-year-olds were killed at Sandy Hook a year or two ago, I think is just obscene. So Andy Parker asks, how many more Allisons are, are there going to be? Well, there's going to be a lot. Nicholas Kristof, writing in the New York Times, notes that gun violence claims one life every 16 minutes on average in the United States. One life every 16 minutes from gun violence. Points out a few more uh, data points that are uh, worth noting. More Americans, more Americans die in gun homicides and suicides every six months than have died in the last 25 years in every terrorist attack and the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq combined. You got that? So that's more Americans dying from gun homicides and suicides every six months than if you added up all of those who have died over the last 25 years in every single terrorist attack and the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq combined. And yet how much money do we put towards uh, terrorism, uh, supposedly preventing it? Do we put towards wars, foreign wars in Afghanistan and Iraq? How much uh, blood and treasure do we put towards those things when at the same time, that's 25 years worth of that, at the same time over the past six months, every six months in this country, we lose more citizens to gun violence. Another data point. More Americans have died from guns in the U.S. since 1968 than on the battlefields of all the wars in American history. Take every single war America has been involved in, including the Civil War, huge amount of dead in that. World War I, World War II, uh, Korea, Vietnam, add them all up. More Americans die from guns in the U.S. since 1968 alone than all of those wars combined. American children are 14 times as likely to die from guns as children in other developed countries, according to David Hemingway, a Harvard professor and author of the book Private Guns and Public Health. And Desi, we should get this guy on as a guest. I'd very much like to talk to this guy. Okay. Uh, because uh, these points are startling, and uh, he says that it's a gun, it's it's a health issue. That that guns should be regarded as a health issue in this country, given how many people uh, die from them, and how little we do about it. Uh, Nicholas Kristof goes on to write that the lessons from the ongoing carnage is not that we need a modern prohibition that would raise constitutional issues and be impossible politically, but that we should address gun deaths as a public health crisis. To protect the public, we regulate toys and mutual funds, ladders and swimming pools. Shouldn't we regulate guns as serious as we regulate toys, he asks? He notes the Occupational Safety and Health Administration has seven pages of regulations concerning ladders, which are involved in 300 deaths in America annually, yet the federal government doesn't make a serious effort to regulate guns, which are involved in the deaths of more than 33,000 people in America annually. 
33,000 people killed by guns in America annually. Imagine if we had terrorist attacks that killed 33,000 a year. Imagine if we had terrorist attacks that killed 200 a year in this country. How much we would, how, uh, you know, how the American people would devote resources to doing something about it. So gun proponents, he says, often say things like, well, what about cars? They kill, too, but we don't try to ban them. Well, that's a great example because cars have all kinds of regulations. We have over the decades, he says, uh, systematically taken steps to make cars safer, adopted seatbelts and airbag uh, requirements, limited licenses for teenage drivers, cracked down on drunk driving, established roundabouts, better crosswalks, auto safety inspections. Rules about texting, etc., and it has been stunningly successful, he points out, those regulations from that big, bad government. He says that if we had the same auto fatality rate as we did in 1921, we would have 715,000 Americans dying annually from cars. But we reduced that fatality rate by more than 95 percent because we put in place reasonable laws back when we used to be a reasonable country. Those days are gone. (laughs) In the case of firearms, the gun lobby uh, has uh, for years blocked even research on how to reduce gun deaths, he notes, as I mentioned earlier. And, of course, we're not going to eliminate gun deaths, but we could we could reduce them by like one third. And that would be 11000 lives saved a year if we weren't insane in this country. So background checks uh, with more rigorous screening. And by the way, this guy passed uh, the shooter in uh, Roanoke. He passed a, uh, a, a background check. So obviously, background checks for all gun sales are not going to stop every single murder in this country. Uh, but looking at the way we do this, uh, these background checks, having more rigorous screening. This guy was fired because he had anger management issues. Should that have kept him from buying a gun if you have a record of, of anger management? Now, in his case, according to NBC News, the, uh, the shooter in Roanoke, uh, he was arrested in uh, North Carolina back in 2004, but it was for a traffic of, uh, offense. Uh, and it was later dismissed. Even if he had been con- convicted, it would not have made him ineligible to buy a gun because it was a misdemeanor charge. The standard in federal law currently is very, very high to keep someone from buying a gun. You have to be either adjudicated as a mental defective or, quote, committed to a mental institution. And nothing in this uh, shooter's history indicates that uh, that that happened to him. But we're not even allowed to look at the way we do these background checks and the way we uh, have these uh, screenings. We're not even allowed to look. We could put limits on gun purchases to one a month to reduce trafficking. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. This guy, he bought two Glocks last uh, last month, two handguns. Uh, Safe storage requirements, serial number markings uh, that are more difficult to obliterate, waiting periods to buy handguns, more research. All of that has been blocked. All of that has been blocked. By the NRA and, frankly, their tools in the U.S. Congress. And regulations, it should be noted, actually work. Christoph, once again, we've talked about this uh, Australia. 
that back in 1996, they had a mass shooting and the country got behind tougher firearm restrictions. And immediately when they put those in place, the firearm suicide rate dropped by half in Australia over the next seven years. And the fire, uh, firearm homicide rate was cut in half. And there has not been, I believe, there has not been a mass shooting since then in Australia. Here in America, we can similarly move from passive horror to take steps to reduce the 92 lives claimed by gun violence in the United States daily. Writes wait, Nick wait, wait, Christoph. how many? 92 lives claimed by wow. gun violence every day. We can, he says, take steps to reduce that. Surely we can regulate guns as seriously as we do cars, ladders, and swimming pools. We can and we should, but will we? I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Much more ahead. Please stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Appreciate your staying with us today. Um, okay, we'll try to lighten it up a little bit, shall we? Oh, yes. At least I can do. Uh, uh, you know, I could, well, speaking of crazy people, uh, Donald Trump. But no, we're not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. We're going to get there in a second. All right. Uh, and uh, But, you know, we were in the station yesterday talking to... Uh, some folks about uh, what's going on in the presidential race. And they say, you're always talking about Donald Trump. What about Bernie Sanders? And that's true. We're, we always uh, talk about Donald Trump, but we do talk about Bernie Sanders. We played him the other day about, what, a six or seven minute clip. Yeah, I think from, we uh, actually something. talk but, more about Bernie Sanders than, than most anybody else in the media. So except, that's just me. Oh, yeah. That we talk about him more than other yeah. people in the media talk about him, right? Yes. But we certainly talk about Donald Trump more because Donald Trump owns the summer he owns the summer he owns the 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 republican party right now and as i've warned uh he, he may own the entire country uh, democrats need to be careful about uh being too gleeful about what's going on with donald trump and uh, not just on a political level but also on uh 
Well, on this uh, this horrible uh, nativist level, I'll talk about that in in a moment. But um, well, you know, and also I think just one thing when people yeah. get concerned about the coverage that Trump gets, I think this is a very interesting and intriguing sociological view of America, and I think that we need to be paying attention to what's going on here from an objective, non-political aspect as well, because it reveals a lot about the American media. It reveals a lot about, you know, the base of the Republican Party uh, who have been driving the political agenda for the last five years. So well, these are very important trends that I think uh, Trump will will give plenty of fodder for sociologists to study for years. It's not just the last five years, uh, the last 30 years. And that's why, oh, true. you know, this is why eh, we talked about it. I won't go into detail. We talked about it yesterday on the show that it's important. It's not a horse race story. Donald Trump is not a horse race story. It's not a, a, a 2016 who's going to win story. It's a story of the Republican Party. It's a story of the disintegration of the Republican Party. But we're going to see this whole time. We, I, we weren't supposed to be talking about Trump. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You've done it again. I think it's fascinating. You and actually you didn't. I did it. But I, I figure you're right here. So why not blame you of instead course. of me? Trump does that all the time. Sure. Of course. Blame everybody else. Um, all right. So for a moment, we'll get back to Trump in a second. But for a moment, uh, this out from Quinnipiac. And this is really interesting. This really interesting dynamic uh, because Vice President Joe Biden, there's been a lot of speculation about him over the past uh, few days about that he may get into this race. Uh, for the uh, 2016 Democratic nomination, which, by the way, I think would be fantastic. It would be great. Uh, the more the merrier democracy. I love it. Bring it. Bring it on. Uh, and by the way, I used to like Joe Biden. I mean, I still like Joe Biden. Let me say, put that every way. I like Joe Biden. Uh, I used to like him a lot back in the uh, uh, Iran-Contra days, back in those hearings when he oversaw those hearings. Uh, I liked him less when he came out in favor of uh, new bankruptcy laws on behalf of the Delaware credit card companies that he uh, that he represents uh, or that he used to represent in the U.S. Senate. Um, but as far as being a vice president, I don't think you could get a, a, a better vice president. The guy looks like a vice president. If you're going to uh, do a, a Hollywood movie and you want to cast someone as the vice president, get Joe Biden. He's perfect. He's from central casting. And he seems to love being the vice president. So there's that. In any event, a lot of speculation around him. So pollsters are now looking at, uh, you know, how he would do if he did get into the race. Vice President Joe Biden, according to this uh, new Quinnipiac poll, runs slightly better than former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton against leading Republican contenders in the 2016 presidential sweepstakes. And he has the best favorability rating among top Republican and Democratic candidates, according to this new poll just out today. A lot of people are talking about that. Now, uh, two quick points on this for, for the moment. One, yes, he has a uh, better uh, favorability than Hillary Clinton because, uh, for among other reasons, he has not been running for president. And when you run for president, you get in the spotlight and people start throwing at, things at you. Yes, your favorability goes down, uh, as it has with Hillary Clinton. And they've thrown this uh, this ridiculous uh, email server nonsense at her. And by the way, I look at this. I, if I find something that is, seems out of sorts, I promise you I will report on it when it comes to Hillary Clinton and her email servers. Just as when the story came out originally, I said, uh, yeah, she's claiming she turned everything over 
as required by law, but who knows? There's no way of knowing. But did she break any laws? No. I can find no laws that she broke, and yet the uh, certainly the right-wing media, the mainstream corporate media, are, are pretending as if there's uh, some uh, violation of law here. We'll see. If there is, great. We'll talk about it. Until then, put quotes around the word scandal. It's right up there with Benghazi as far as fake scandals go. Uh, in any event, Clinton leads the uh, Democratic field in this Quinnipiac poll with 45 percent down from 55 percent July 30th. So just a month, she's plummeted 10 points, while U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders is still at only 22 percent. So it's Clinton to Sanders is 45 to 22. So she's still uh, killing him. But um, and, and with Joe Biden at 18 percent, Joe Biden, who's not running. Uh, but no other candidate uh, tops uh, 1% in that poll. 11% are still undecided. And this is Sanders' highest tally and closest margin to Hillary Clinton. So he's already beating her in, uh, in New Hampshire, where he's heavily uh, uh, campaigning. He is on the rise, and Hillary Clinton is falling, falling uh, quickly, 10 points in a month. Clinton uh, continues her slide while Bernie Sanders continues to narrow the gap, according to Quinnipiac uh, Assistant Director Tim uh, Malloy. He says, but the real news is the man who isn't there yet. Vice President Joe Biden has the best appeal in general election matchups against top Republicans. So that's what a whole bunch of people are talking about today. But here's what they're not. to. OK, well, here. Uh, so Biden uh, tops Trump. Biden, if it was head to head, Biden against Trump in a national poll. And we don't do national elections, by the way, in this country. But if we did, Biden would defeat Trump 48 to 40. Biden would beat Bush 45 to 39. And he would beat Marco Rubio 44 to 41. So Biden does very well. So does uh, Hillary Clinton. Clinton, uh, Clinton uh, beats uh, Trump 45 to 41. So only four points. Biden beats Trump by eight points. She gets 42 percent to Bush's 40 percent. So she only beats Jeb Bush by two points, whereas Biden beats Bush by six points. And she barely beats Marco Rubio by just one point, 44 to 43. So that's what's getting all the headlines. But wait, but wait, what's this? Bernie Sanders also beats Trump 44 to 41. Almost identical to Clinton's numbers. And he beats Bush. Uh, 43, uh, let's see, 43 to 39. So another four points. Actually, he beats Bush by a higher, uh, by, by high, more points than Hillary Clinton does. Somehow Rubio uh, gets 41% to Sanders 40%. But with numbers almost identical to Hillary Clinton, why are uh, why does the mainstream media focus only on Hillary Clinton, not on Bernie Sanders? Especially since Bernie Sanders is doing that well and no one knows who he is <laughs> comparatively to Hillary Clinton. Everybody knows who Hillary Clinton is. Imagine what would happen if Bernie Sanders actually got coverage in the media the way he should, uh, how much he might be beating uh, Republicans by. But it's, so it should be noted while everyone is saying, hey, what about Joe Biden? He, he beats uh, the Republicans uh, even better than Clinton. Well, so does Bernie Sanders. Just noting that. I uh, also want to note 
that last week, this was a story came late in the week, and so we didn't get to cover it here, and it, I saw very little coverage of it elsewhere, to be frank. But the Mexican government confirmed late last week that a homeless Boston man, the police said, was beaten by two brothers, one of whom was said, uh, said that he was inspired by Donald Trump's view on, Im- on uh, immigrants. That homeless man was a citizen of Mexico. The brothers in Boston urinated on the 58-year-old man. They punched him. They beat him with a metal pole while he slept near a train station. One of them said afterwards that Trump was right about deporting, quote, all these illegals, said the police. Witnesses had flagged down a state trooper at about 12.30 a.m. on Wednesday after they saw the attack and then saw the two brothers walk away laughing, according to prosecutors. The victim was treated for broken nose, serious bruises, and other injuries. One of those two brothers, Scott Leader, told the troopers after his arrest, quote, Donald Trump was right, and all these illegals need to be deported. Asked about the homeless man's beating before a New Hampshire town hall on Wednesday night, Donald Trump said he hadn't heard about it. He said, I think that'd be a shame. Before he then pivoted to how passionate, quote, passionate his supporters are. I wonder how they got to be that passionate. That passionate that they're out there uh, beating up, quote, all of these illegals. Could it have anything to do with the event that I'm sure you heard about? Uh, You know, this has been all over the news. This incident where Jorge Ramos was escorted out of a Donald Trump press conference uh, for, uh, well, asking a question apparently out of turn. I don't think Donald Trump had any idea who this guy, who Jorge Ramos was. And he is like the Walter Cronkite uh, of Hispanic media uh, from Univision, the the largest uh, Spanish language uh, television outlet in this in this country. Uh, here's a little bit of that. In case you haven't heard it, in case you've been uh, living in a cave somewhere, here here's a little bit of that confrontation between Trump and Jorge Ramos. Trump has a question about immigration. Uh, okay, who's uh, next? Yeah, please. Excuse me. Sit down. You weren't called. Sit down. Sit down. Sit down. Go ahead. No, you don't. You haven't been called. Go back to Univision. Go ahead. Go back to Univision. So that's go back to you. That's a dog whistle. Not even a dog whistle. That's a whistle for go back to Mexico. Uh, And everyone knows it. And and he was, uh, you know, sort of roughed up a little bit, moved out of the room by this uh, great big bodyguard of Donald Trump. And then later on, when once uh, some of the reporters started asking uh, Donald Trump about this uh, and saying, hey, why did you uh, remove Jorge Ramos? Why would you not let him ask his question about your plan to somehow magically deport 11 million undocumented uh, immigrants? Why did you not? And, And it was clear. You could see it in Trump's eyes. Oh, oh, no, that was Jorge Ramos. Of Univision, I can't believe I did. They, I'd answer his questions. He could come back in if he wanted to, if he wanted to wait and turn. And then eventually he did come in. But MSNBC was able to get video of what happened in the hallway when Jorge Ramos was run out of the room. Up to then, we had everybody had seen the, uh, the 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 rest of it, but they hadn't seen what happened to Jorge Ramos 
outside in the hallway. And so for the people who were saying, oh, no, when he said go back to Univision, he didn't mean go back to Mexico. Mind you, Jorge Ramos is a, a U.S. citizen. But not to Donald Trump, not to Donald Trump. Go back to Univision. So what happened out in the hallway? There's video of what happened once uh, uh, Ramos was outside in the hallway. And one of it, and I don't know that this person has yet been identified. I think he's identified. This guy is identified only as a uh, Donald Trump supporter. But here's the confrontation. In case you think uh, it was not clear what Donald Trump said to Jorge Ramos about go back to Univision, his supporter out in the hallway made that very clear to Jorge Ramos. You're very rude. It's not about you. It's not about Get out of my country. Get out. This is not my, about I'm a, you. I'm a U.S. citizen, too. Well, whatever. No, Univision, no. It's not about you. you it's not about you. It's about, it's about the United States. No, it is. It's about the United States. Yeah. So you can hear the uh, seething hatred in that guy's con- Get out of my country. Get out of my country. Go back to Mexico. Go back to Univision. This he's saying to a uh, to a U.S. citizen. Add that to the attack in Boston, and uh, no, it none of that. Uh, certainly not the attack in Boston uh, is Donald Trump's fault. But that's who he is, and these are his uh, these are his followers, and this is what he is awakening in this country right now. So uh, it's ugly. It's uh, it's really ugly. And he's capitalizing on it. And and his supporters love him. A couple of weeks ago, after the uh, Fox News debate, the Republican debate, Frank Luntz, the Republican pollster, had a a focus group on there. And uh, several of the focus group, uh, the people in that focus group uh, said, oh, they they didn't uh, like Trump's performance. And then Trump came out on Twitter and beat the hell out of Frank Luntz, called him a dunce, the dunce Luntz and all of this stuff. Well, now Frank Luntz went out and conducted another focus group, this time with 29 people who were supporters, uh, who, who really like Donald Trump a lot. And he invited Time, uh, Time Magazine and a bunch of other uh, media to see it and to see the comments uh, as they showed uh, various clips of Donald Trump uh, to, to, these, uh, to these 29 people in this focus group. Some of the comments, as reported by Time magazine, uh, quote, I used to sleep on my front porch with the door wide open and now everyone has deadbolts, said one man in the session. I believe the best days of this country are behind us. I'm afraid I'm frustrated beyond belief. I feel like I've been lied to, a woman said. Nothing's getting better. We know his goal is to make America great again, another woman said. It's on his hat. So there's there's proof right there. And we see it every time, every time that it's on TV, everything that he's doing. There's no doubt why he's doing it. It's to make America great again. And here's where it gets crazy. After the group watched recordings of Donald Trump's political flip flops, because he flip flops all the time. Uh, you know, he, he, he never has the same uh, opinion about something uh, more than once, except for deporting all of those uh, illegals. After watching a recording of Donald Trump's political flip-flops and uh, remarks on women, the individuals reportedly said they liked Trump even more. They don't care. They don't care because he's cracked the code of how to run as a Republican for president. Act like the Republican, uh, act like the president. 
and speak to uh, people's darkest beliefs. Never mind policy ideas. They don't matter. Frank Luntz said, you guys understand how uh, significant this is? This is real. He said, I'm having trouble processing it. My legs are shaking. I know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, he said, uh, I want to put the Republican leadership behind this mirror and let them see that they need to wake up. They don't realize how the grassroots have abandoned them, according to Frank Luntz. Donald Trump is punishment to a Republican elite that wasn't listening to their grassroots. Well, D uh, Frank Luntz is wrong. They're not punishing him. They were listening to the, the Republican elite. Th these supporters of Donald Trump are listening to what the Republican elite have been saying as they have been playing their base, as they have been playing their people, as they have been lying to their people about uh, immigration and a bunch of stuff we talked about yesterday. No, there's not an immigration crisis. Uh, immigration is pretty much at net zero at this point. No, there's not a, you know, a crime wave being carried out by people sneaking into the country. It's all stuff and nonsense. These people have been listening to their to that Republican elite. They know exactly what's going on. Time went on to report that most of the people in the room were angry about national security, including the nation's poorest southern border with Mexico. And complained about the U.S. falling behind in the world. I wonder where they got that idea. People in the room also panned Congress, but when asked to describe Trump, they use words such as tough, successful, has guts, and kicks ass and takes names. Meanwhile, Republican uh, states are trying to figure out how to force Donald Trump to make a loyalty oath before he'll be allowed into their primaries if he doesn't promise to not run as a third party. A loyalty oath to the party... Uh, this is being uh, looked at right now in uh, in Virginia, in North Carolina. It looks like the South Carolina Republican Party has already put this in place, although although it's a pretty uh, pretty wobbly uh, uh, loyalty oath in this case. They said uh, the Republican candidates are now being asked to sign a pledge that they quote hereby affirm that they quote generally believe in and intend to support the nominees and platform of the Republican Party in the November 8, 2016 general election. So they generally believe and they intend to support. Well, that door is wide open. I'm sure Donald Trump will have no problem signing that one because he can always say, oh, I intended uh, to support. Republicans don't know what to do here. Uh, and, well... I don't know if they're going to figure it out, and that's uh, fine by me, because frankly, as ugly as they get, as ugly as this gets, as ugly as this is getting, I would rather have it be up front and uh, out where everyone can see it. And let's have a referendum on this country. Do we want the kind of country that beats the crap out of uh, homeless people, that runs out U.S. citizen journalists for daring to ask a question? Uh, or do we want a humane and better world? One more point before we go to a break here. Um, the, uh, uh, on this uh, Quinnipiac poll out today, they were asked about, uh, w uh, the people who were polled were asked, what word comes to their mind? What's the first word that comes to their mind more than any others uh, when they think of Hillary Clinton? The answer? Liar. Wow. That's interesting. That is surprising. Uh, when asked uh, Donald Trump, uh, the answer was arrogant. 
Okay. Nonetheless, apparently they like arrogance. Uh, and just for fun, when when asked, remember Jeb Bush? Remember him? He was <laughs> yes. supposed to be the... Uh, when uh, voters were asked what's the first word that comes to their mind when they think of Jeb Bush, voters say Bush. Ah, the family name, as it were. Let that swim around in your brain a little bit. All right, quick break, and we're back with, uh, oh, now let's head down to Kentucky. <laughs> oh, and Alabama. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Stay tuned. <laughs> Nice. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Got just a few more minutes here uh, after we went off the air yesterday. Word came down from the from the Sixth uh, Circuit Court of Appeals that uh, one of the dead-enders in Kentucky, this uh, Kentucky clerk's office, uh, which has been refusing, refusing to issue a, a marriage license, Marriage licenses to anyone, not just gay couples, but now to straight couples as well. Word came down from the Sixth Circuit Court that, yes, you have to do it. No, your so-called religious uh, freedom is not at stake here. Uh, You must do it. This was uh, uh, Rowan County Clerk Kim Davis. She has refused to issue any marriage licenses, citing her Christian faith and constitutional right to religious freedom. Since the Supreme Court's landmark decision uh, finding a marriage equality a constitutional right in all 50 states, she has been refusing to issue any licenses at all. And she's in court and uh, whining and complaining about it that uh, somehow her, her religion uh, denies her the ability to uh, sign a form and give it to people. Once again, she does not actually have to marry someone of the same sex. All she's got to do is issue the form, and then they can go out and and do it as they like. So finally, this decision came in uh, late yesterday after we got off air from the Sixth Circuit. And yet, on Thursday, that same Kentucky clerk's office again refused to issue a marriage license to gay couples in defiance of that Sixth Circuit Court and in defiance of the U.S. Supreme Court, who, uh, which ruled that uh, same-sex marriage was legal across the country just two months ago. A deputy clerk in uh, her office, in Kim Davis's office, refused to issue a marriage license to William Smith Jr. and James Yates, it was their third attempt to get a license. They said they will not give up. They just don't they just don't like gay people. They just uh, don't want us to get married, Yates said. And they'd rather burn the earth than not let straight people in Rowan County get married either. So yeah, no, they're they're not allowing gay or straight people to have licenses anymore. So why can't they just fire her for not doing her job? 
Or does the court have any recourse? Does the court hold her in contempt? Well, that's uh, that's becoming quickly becoming the question. Is she cannot be removed unless she's actually impeached because by she's elected? St- yeah, well, no, uh, actually, I'm not sure if she's she must be elected. Yeah, because she's got to be impeached by the state legislature wow. in Kentucky. So the Kentucky state legislature has to get together and agree that uh, yeah, we want to impeach this woman. Uh, this is just uh, unbelievable, unbelievable. Uh, is the um, although no, I should I shouldn't say that. It's totally believable. <laughs> it's totally believable that they still have these idiot holdouts who are pretending their religion. I mean, and there's so many. You know, when when uh, it used to be that. Uh, you know, interracial marriage was illegal. And at that time, uh, when it was required, uh, there were people who were also making similar claims that uh, my religious freedom says that white people and black people shouldn't get married. So it's the same nonsense. She's going to lose. We just have to go through all the Sturm and Drang before uh, before she does. Uh, the ACLU sued this woman last month on behalf of April Miller and Karen Roberts, a second gay couple and two straight couples. So there's two straight couples in on this lawsuit as well. A U.S. district judge uh, court ordered Davis to issue those marriage licenses, but then he later delayed his order so that Davis could have time to appeal to the Sixth Circuit, which she did, and then she lost. But today she is still declining to issue marriage licenses. Defying the court. Right. Uh, Matt Staver, her attorney, said that he was disappointed with the Sixth Court ruling. He plans to discuss his options, uh, including an appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. (laughs) He said uh, the Court of Appeals did not provide any religious accommodation rights to individuals, which makes little sense because at the end of the day, it's individuals that are carrying out the acts of the office. They don't lose their individual constitutional rights just because they are employed in a public office. Actually, they do. They don't have the right to discriminate. If you don't want to follow the law, if you wish to keep discriminating against people, fine, do it. Quit your job. Stop working for the public. Because obviously you're not uh, able to carry out your duties in public office. Sa- on, uh, on, on Saturday, this woman, uh, Davis, uh, Kim Davis, spoke to thousands of supporters at a religious freedom freedom rally at the uh, state capitol, saying, I need your prayers to continue to stand firm with what we believe. Apparently, what we believe is that we can discriminate against anybody who we feel like we want to discriminate against. She said, regardless of what any man puts on a piece of paper, the law of nature is not going to change. So her law... Her God, her Bible, comes before our law, our country's law, our U.S. Constitution. She is refusing to resign. As I said, she can only be removed by the state legislature if they impeach her. However, if she continues to defy the federal court order, a judge could hold her in contempt, order hefty fines, and, yes, jail time. That's it. Lock her up. William Sharp, the uh, legal director over at ACLU of Kentucky, says he believes it's a simple case. Religious liberty does does not allow public officials to deny government services to the public based on their personal beliefs. All that Davis is required to do in her official capacity as clerk 
is issue a form. In no way is she being forced to endorse anyone's marriage or beliefs, says William Sharp of the ACLU. He is, of course, absolutely correct. Kim Davis is absolutely wrong, which she will learn soon enough. It's up to her if she wants to go to jail or pay fines. Uh, but uh, she is on the wrong side of history, and I hope uh, history remembers women like Kim Davis the next time this uh, nonsense comes up. So uh, good luck, Kim Davis. And oh, by the way, people of Alabama, I wasn't able to get to your story today, but I haven't forgotten you. I'm going to get to your story, I hope, on our next thrilling broadcast. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and to you, the listener, for spending a portion of your day or night with us. I'm very grateful of that. And to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on the air, uh, commercial and corporate free. God love you. Even you down there in Kentucky. All right, we'll be back with you soon. Until then, you can find me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Brad Blog. You can download our reports anytime at bradblog.com or iTunes, where I hope you will give us a good review, and it makes it a little bit easier for other folks to find this show as well. Uh, what else? That's it. Oh, you can email me. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. I'd love to hear from you, even from the racists I've been hearing from lately. Thanks for the emails, guys. All right, until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.